new CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is now Sunday night, July 12th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We actually do, for the first time on this show in a while, have updates, substantive updates on the status of the college football season 2020. So we are going to talk about that, including a heavily detailed reaction to Brandon Marcello's piece on 247sports.com yesterday, today. A lot of you have read that already because you've commented on it to me, and that is how the conference-only game structure, even though it's not ideal, could easily provide the best path to what would look like a somewhat normal season and to provide the path to a season period. So we're gonna talk a whole lot about that tonight. I'm also going to do what we were gonna do Thursday before it kinda got sidetracked, and that is the Big 10 fan base mood tracker. We did the SEC, uh, both divisions. We're gonna do the Big 10 tonight. And I'm gonna answer a question about best defensive coordinator currently in the SEC, and also address some less than kind remarks from a certain um, notable figure at a four-letter network towards our friends at Notre Dame. Everyone always wants to pick on Notre Dame. So we'll get to all that. We're really happy to have you with us. If you haven't already, and 86% of you who watch still have not, and that is subscribed to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Please do that. And please find the 24-7 Sports variety of podcasts, including ours, The Late Kick with Josh Pate. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. We appreciate that, and we appreciate five-star reviews. Let's get into this. An actual update on the college football season. We are a little bit different in the way that we've approached this. I think a lot of you have noticed that by now. We have not talked about COVID-19 hardly at all. We have not talked about the status of the season hardly at all. And it's not so much because we've been ignoring it. It's because there hasn't really been a whole lot new to talk about. And what we could have done is we could have led every show with this stuff and we could have tried to build the brand of this show, which is still new under the 24-7 sports umbrella of content. We could have tried to build the brand off of COVID-19. And to be honest, we probably could have gotten more views because it would have been of the more hot take variety in nature. But that's not what we're trying to do long term with this. And so we've only mentioned this when there's something substantive to talk about, which is why we led the show with it Thursday and which is why we're gonna lead the show with it again now because there is something to talk about. The Big Ten, quickly, everyone knows this, I don't need to rehash this, but the Big Ten announces they're gonna go conference games only. It wasn't surprising that the decision was made, it was surprising to a lot of people when the decision was made, and by a lot of people, I don't mean me, nor do I mean you, respectively although we may be included in that. I mean conference commissioners, university presidents, TV executives, et cetera, et cetera. So the next logical question is, will others follow suit? Down in our neck of the woods, it's will the SEC follow suit? Pac-12 Pac followed suit already since we were on air Thursday, and so now there are rumors, and I would tend to believe it's an inevitability that most everyone will end up either totally going down this road 
or to a large degree going down this road. So with that in mind as the backdrop, I wanna direct your attention to 247sports.com and you'll see it there still on the front page as of like an hour ago. And that is a really good feature, really in-depth feature by Brandon Marcello today who has done the best reporting in the industry on this entire subject in my humble opinion, not biased at all, uh, but he's done a great job on it. And he he's put together a list of reasons why going the conference only route, the conference game only route, it could be easily the best path to having a college football season. And so he lays out basically what we know, separates fact from fiction, gives you as much as he could possibly give you as to what he's gathered from the undercurrent and different people that he talks to. And believe me, that network is pretty darn extensive. And so you've got different formats that you could go down. Let's just, you and I together, talk through slowly why it would be so much more beneficial for people, and by people I mean conferences, to go the conference game only route. The first thing it does is obviously it gives you total autonomy on your schedule. If I am the ACC president, if I am the Big 12 commissioner, I guess, and I go conference games only, I mean, I could do everything from starting the season in late August to starting the season in early October. I could play games on Wednesdays if I want to. I can negotiate my own restructured television deal with ESPN, with Fox Sports, with CBS Sports, whatever the case may be. I don't have to match up my scheduling with yours. Hey, we, we previously had a game scheduled for week seven. Well, that's off the table now. So I can move this game there and that game there and you understand how much more leeway and flexibility it gives you. You also get to decide, how are we gonna structure this? Are we gonna do all of your division games and then three crossover games and maybe try and fit in an out-of-conference game? Do we enter an agreement, maybe SEC, with the ACC, since we've already got four permanent cross-conference rivalries anyway, to where maybe we try and add an out-of-conference there? There's a lot up in the air right now and I know one of the popular talking points, just to kind of direct your attention maybe down a side road for a second, a popular talking point that tries to poo-poo this idea that maybe there could be an agreement between two conferences like the SEC and the ACC where, hey, we get together, Greg Sankey uh, and John Swafford, and we get together and we say, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna play uh, nine conference games apiece going to work Notre Dame in there probably somehow, more on the Irish later. But we got Georgia clamoring to play Georgia Tech, and FSU and Florida are up in arms, and Clemson and South Carolina are, are about to march on the conference offices with torch and pitchfork in hand. Let's work something out here. Could you do that? Yes, you could, but the popular talking point to dissent against that possibility is, well, you'd have to standardize your health protocols, and to this point, no one's worked in conjunction. Both things can be true. It could be true that this has been a cluster so far and no one's really worked in conjunction. And it could also be true that everyone's just sitting around waiting for someone else to do something. So really what you could see, to me, this is a perfect situation where you could see if you really get down to it and you really need to get something done, you could see more progress over the span of 48 hours than you've seen in the past four months. Like that's the way that could end up happening. You could wake up on Monday and think there's no way they're gonna get this done and then wake up Tuesday morning and you're looking at headlines saying SEC and ACC agree to standardized testing. They agree to this, 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 and that. Out of conference format will feature one out of conference game, conference versus conference. All that stuff could happen, just putting it on the table. The other benefits here is you get to know what you have in your portfolio. 
what do you need to do? And when do you need to start? And Brandon Marcello, again, it's on the front page of 247sports.com right now. He really lays out what has to happen and what the minimum baseline is that you need to have happen. And I thought he brought up a lot of interesting dates. One in particular caught my eye because if you'll remember back in March, I remember, Colin, it was the first show that you and I did once we had been granted emergency personnel status. So Colin and I are the only ones in the building and that was a very notable first show for obvious reasons and I remember it still. And so we did a segment. Now, way back then, it felt like it was, let's talk about it for fun because we'll never have to actually broach this topic again. And we just for fun said, what's the latest you could start a college football season and still have the season? And so some of you will remember this. At the time, I threw out the last Saturday in October as being the latest possible date I thought you could start a season. Now, my theory had all the conferences pushing their conference championship games a couple of weeks further into December. So Brandon Marcello's writing, and he's not just speculating or guessing here, this is feedback he's gotten from some pretty dialed in folks. He's talking about the minimum. It would be great if you could get 10 conference games in, and well, it would be great if we could play an entire season, but what's the minimum? To have a season, what's the minimum? And he's talking about a, maybe a format where you're playing, let's say in the SEC, just your division games. So that's a six-game season. You need four weeks of camp. You probably need two weeks before that. So six weeks leading up to the start of a six-game season could see you start as late as the last Saturday in October or thereabouts, second to last Saturday in October, somewhere around there. Keep in mind, there are nine Saturdays in October and November this year. That's very important for you to track your paycheck too. So what could happen there? Well, obviously a number of things could happen. But also, I was talking on uh, the BamaOnline.com message board a little while ago. You know, some people were talking about their game against Georgia that's right now scheduled in week three, but then all of a sudden you take away the USC game in week one, and uh, I can't even remember off the top of my head who Bama plays in week two, but let's say you take that one away. Well, that would lead you to believe, oh, we're gonna open the season against Georgia. I don't know that that's the case, because again, as, as Brandon has pointed out, if you want to make sure that the status of your division titles is decided, it would be pretty smart to front load everyone's schedule as much as you could with division games. So Alabama may still play Georgia this year. I don't necessarily know that it's a foregone conclusion. They would play them in week one just cause that was gonna be their first conference game. That's the point. If you go conference game only, it allows you a whole lot more leeway and flexibility. But I would just remember this. I would remember that those, as he points out, those conference championship TV deals are worth a lot of money. Those conference TV contracts, period, are worth a lot of money. The playoff is worth a lot of money. One of the other hangups that I've seen here, including on our show the other night, was how are you gonna decide the playoff structure? And is having this kind of format for your regular season going to handcuff the college football playoff committee? But that's not necessarily a concern that you need to have because, again, as Brandon pointed out in this piece on 247sports.com, it is not just some rando committee that decides whether we're going to change the format of the college football playoff. Will you have a certain number of games you have to play? Will we expand and take all the conference champs from the Power Five and a couple of auto bids, et cetera, et cetera? That's not how that works. The way it works is the 10 Power Five or the 10, um, I guess you would call them FBS, conference commissioners and Notre Dame, they get to decide that. 
Translation, the very people deciding how they're gonna run their season are the same people who get to collectively decide what the structure of the playoffs gonna be. So I think it is not really at the forefront right now to concern yourself with whether this is or isn't going to handcuff the college football playoff committee. The playoff committee will do whatever these cats tell them they're going to do. That's the way that'll work. Bill Hancock even said that to Brandon Marcello. I had to watch the video because I had to upload it just in the past couple of months, he said that. So the lasting, I guess, thing that I've said the entire time is we're sitting right here today. It is July 12th. It's July 12th. We're talking about stuff that hopefully we could get off the ground in September. We're talking about back-end stuff that would be happening in late November, early December. I cannot remember a single month's period during this entire ordeal where things have just remained the same. Sometimes it seems that they've gotten better. Sometimes it seems they've gotten a lot worse. But nothing has stayed the same, nor will it stay the same. So what we do know is things are going to change. You don't necessarily have the ability to maybe predict which way the winds are going to blow, but things are going to change. So give yourself as much flexibility on the back end as you can. Now, the hard part is that means start as soon as you can. And that, friends, is why I'm glad that I get to sit here and talk about the folks who run the conferences instead of having to run a conference right now. Those are the updates. That's about all we have for you when it comes to the college football season. However, there's a whole lot to talk about in the Big Ten outside of how you're going to play this season. The other night, we did a segment that was wildly popular. Comment section blew up. I've done this once before, and I did it way back when on talk radio. And every time, it stirs a lot of conversation authentically. We don't have to bait it. We do it authentically because I believe that I know you well enough to know you're not really fond of having your intelligence insulted. And so we try and do it the old-fashioned way and just talk about things that are really interesting and make you, in turn, want to talk about them. And the mood tracker is something that I've always had a lot of fun with and that I've always found that you enjoy. So what we try to do, uh, some of you may have missed it the other night, is what we try and do is we take a fan base and on the surface, we look at that fan base and we understand that there are some radical fringes on either side. There are the ultra pessimistic fans, there are the ultra optimistic fans, and we just chop those 10% off. It's not that you don't matter, but you don't represent probably the typical fan's mood, the average fan's mood, the middle 80%. A lot of times they are the silent majority. And so what does the typical fan, the dialed in but typical fan, what is their mood right now? Let's start with Ohio State. Why not? They're on top of the Big Ten at the moment. The mood collectively, it's not hard to figure out with Ohio State, is they kind of view themselves as being on a different train. Like they've gotten to the station and they've got to connect and they've gotten on a new train. And whether you guys like it or not, search your heart, you know this to be true, their mood is they've sort of distanced themselves. They're in the process of separating from the rest of the conference. You don't have to agree with that, but this is their mood, not what you think their mood should be. And their mood is they're competing. Oh, they're absolutely competing, but they're not competing anymore in their conference. They are the clear cream of the crop in their conference. It's Alabama, it's Clemson, it's any given year a team like LSU. That's who they're measuring themselves against. That's who they're competing against. They love that they had the next 
head coach for a generation already in their back pocket, as it turns out. They love recruiting. How could you not love how they're recruiting right now? They are great at quarterback. They're great at recruiting. They are great organizationally. Everything's great. It's just great, 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 great. It was a decade ago, I guess right now, about a decade ago, where we were reading headlines wall to wall of scandal, uh, Jim Tressel out, uh, Luke Fickle in, are they even gonna go to a bowl? And it could have been something that took a crowbar to the kneecaps of a program and it took forever to get out of the shadow of. Instead, it was like a hiccup. And boom, a guy named Urban Meyer comes in and he quickly steadies the ship and then takes them to new heights. And then Ryan Day comes in and you could argue right now, he doesn't have enough body of work under him and that's the only thing that you could say against him. But for all we know, we're looking at the best in the Big Ten for the next decade. And so that is the mood in Buckeye land right now. How about the arch rival up the road? How about we go to Ann Arbor? How about we look at Michigan? Because this one's very interesting to me because I got some Michigan buddies, very open, very forthright, and very honest about how they feel about the program. And the way that I, at least I interpret the mood from the vast majority of Michigan Wolverine fans at the moment is riding this fine line between aggression and apathy. Nothing's changed about the passion. Nothing's changed about the goals. Nothing has changed about the collective buy-in that the fan base has. Nothing's changed about the standard that they're holding their program to. However, if you look at the fuse and you look at how much leeway they're willing to give and how much longer they're willing to wait for their bang moment, as I like to say, I don't get the feeling that there is three to four years left on the typical Michigan fans' fuse. Now, I'm not, here's what I'm not telling you. You know I like to do this a lot. I'm not telling you that you know, if they don't do this this year, if they don't win X number of games this year, then they're gonna you know, march on the halls and they're gonna yell fire Harbaugh, blah, blah, blah. It's not that. That's not the most dangerous thing that sneaks into a fan base. Apathy is the most dangerous thing that sneaks into a fan base. And I want you to picture yourself being a Michigan fan right now. You buy the tickets, you buy the merch, you send in your check, you support the program, you support everything that you're asked to support, and you're, you're fully bought in, financially, emotionally, everything. And you want a return on your investment, as every fan who's bought in does, and you keep getting good seasons. But this, as we know, is not in a vacuum. You are not an independent. You measure yourself to the conference you're in, and it doesn't help that your rival is doing what they're doing and has been doing what they're doing. And the bottom line is, you can have a lot of good, but when great is the standard, folks only tolerate it for so long. And so right now, they're very aggressive. Josh Gaddis is in here. We've got a five-star quarterback committed. We hope that we can revamp and rev up this offense. We just landed a big-time receiving commit out of California. So there are definite indicators that we're on the right trajectory. There are definite indicators. However, and you know, the second half of the season last year offensively gave me, if I'm a Michigan fan, it gave me a lot of reason to be hopeful for the future. And hey, maybe if I don't have the roster exactly the way I want it in 2020, 2021 and beyond, that really should be where we take off if Harbaugh has pulled the right strings and Gaddis is the guy that he needs and that we need. But if he's not and if he hasn't, like, I mean, what more do I do? What's gonna change? How much more do I buy in? So that's that fine line between aggression and being all in and then just being kind of apathetic. You don't renounce your fandom, but you just say, hey, whatever, man. Like, I'll still watch the games, I guess, but 
I'm not gonna continue to buy in emotionally and just have this happen to me at the end of every year. That's really all that matters to a lot of folks right now in Michigan circles. As for Penn State, two programs here, Michigan and Penn State, that I think you could, you could describe as being very comparable in terms of where they stand right now in the overall landscape of the Big Ten. There's a difference to me as an outsider, there's a difference in the mood. The mood I get, I was talking to a Penn State guy today, and it kind of echoed the sentiment I already believed about Penn State. The mood that I get from Penn State is, if you've ever swung at a pinata, if you've ever had that blindfold on you and you've swung at a pinata, you swing and miss the first time, but that's okay. Because in your mind, you know, all right, it's not over there. And then you swing and you miss again. But that's okay, again, because you know it's not over there and it's not over there. And so you're kind of checking off places that it's not. And eventually, you know, if you keep swinging, you feel like you're getting closer and closer and closer every time to hitting that pinata and making the lollipops and Tootsie Rolls fall out all over the floor of your classroom. At least that's how it happened for me. And I get the feeling Penn State fans kind of feel the same way. It's not that they're totally thrilled with where they are right now. They believe they should be contending for the playoff annually and winning national championships or contending for national championships. And it's not that they're there, but they feel like there is a continuation of violently swinging. And hey, we got to get the right quarterback in here and we got to continue to find the right formula offensively. Haven't found it yet. Just had a new offensive coordinator come in. If he is who we think he is and James Franklin is who we think he could be, then this program will ultimately be what we think it could be. And just like I said with Michigan, you're waiting for your bang moment there. You're waiting for your bang moment at Penn State too. And if that bang happens, Penn State, I don't get the sense. Penn State's gonna be one of those programs that has this one spike year. And then you're looking back 15 years from now at the tenure of James Franklin, and it's uh, good, decent, really good, had one great year, and then quickly dropped back off. If they get the right quarterback in there, they get offense figured out and they get the right quarterback in there, they're gonna be good and they're gonna be there and they're gonna be able to sustain it. That's what I believe, that's what they believe. And that's why, you just keep swinging for that pinata. It's if you've ever tried to jump a car, you know, you, you, you turn the key and you think that you have the cables on there right, but it doesn't turn over. And so then you change one little thing and you go, all right, try it again. Nope, right, move it, try, try it one more time. Or wiggle that one, try it one more time. And you just keep trying and you keep trying and you keep trying. And finally, when that engine turns over, you don't really care how many false tries you had. You got it to work. When that pinata busts open, you don't really care that you had to swing seven times in order to get it. No one cares. Everyone's eating candy. Everyone's on a sugar rush at that point, and no one really cares how many swings you had to take. Now, as for Wisconsin, the Wisconsin attitude, to me, is kind of like the Georgia attitude that we talked about with the SEC East. And I said, with Georgia, there is a public mood that they'll show you, and then there is the private mood that they have that they mainly only talk about amongst themselves. The public mood, as I see it, for Wisconsin is they're very proud, have a lot to be proud about. This has been a very solid program and they've been solid for a long time. However, I also think that there is a sizable portion of the Wisconsin fan base who isn't secretly upset, but they are curious. And what they're curious about is the what if. The what if is, what if we took it to the next level at, let's say, the quarterback position? You know, a lot of, a lot of folks in Wisconsin know that there's been this curiosity even at the quarterback position. Uh, the guy that we affectionately refer to as Jack Doan, former wrestling official in real life, Jack Cohn. Hey, he's been there for a long time. Um, he could be getting AARP mail at this point, 
but we've got Graham Mertz over here, and we pretty sure we know what our ceiling is with Jack Cohn, but there's the what if. Because you're happy with what the program is. It's solid, it's very respectable, but are you going to the playoff with it? Probably not. There's probably a ceiling that's a little bit lower, and you know you take more of a risk if you change what's worked offensively for you since forever, but is the risk worth it? And that's the what if that, that, that's in the mind of a lot of Wisconsin fans right now. And what if we were right? What if our curiosity was founded and we all of a sudden raised that ceiling a little bit and people went from thinking that the winner over in that division with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, people went from thinking that the winner would have a little hurdle to clear in Indianapolis, but Indianapolis, but I mean, really, what's it gonna be? It's gonna be Wisconsin, it'll be a nice win, but it'll be a win nonetheless. What if all of a sudden it went to, hey, they still gotta come through Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game? That's kind of, to me, the status of the typical mood in Wisconsin. And I wrap up with Nebraska. And I wrap up with Nebraska I've been reading a lot about Nebraska. I've been talking a lot, um, not on the show. I've been talking a lot, some on the podcast, the Late Kick Extra podcast, and some just privately about Nebraska over about the last week to two weeks because I wanted to validate my feeling on Nebraska. What my feeling on Nebraska has been is your mood when you read national headlines about your program is one of sort of disdain, disgust, not for yourself, not for your program, for the people who talk about your program as if they know anything about your program. Because you probably, in Lincoln, Nebraska, look at someone who works in Bristol, Connecticut, or New York, or LA, and you rightfully, I'm not saying you're wrong, you probably rightfully look at them and think, don't really care what your headline says. Don't really care what this graph or that graph says. It's cool. If someone's gonna criticize us, will criticize us because we actually know what to criticize. You don't. You fly over us a few times a year, but you don't really have the slightest clue what's going on down here. Do you even know that Tom Osborne is no longer the head coach? Do you even have the slightest clue what's going on? That's the mood. But then when you remove all that, you know, the animosity towards outsiders, and then you're talking about yourselves inside, what's the mood there? And the mood there I have found to be pretty patient. In fact, refreshingly patient. Scott Frost came in, and Scott Frost, I don't know what concept people had of what he had done at Central Florida. What he did at Central Florida was great, but it was that. It was the snap of a finger. It was like overnight, it happened. He wasn't there seven years, guys. And so he comes into Nebraska, and you know what outsiders thought. And then, as outsiders typically do, Outsiders set the expectation, and then last year especially, you saw the preview magazines, Nebraska, everyone's dark horse, Nebraska this, Nebraska that. And I've told you, I, had, I didn't have firsthand correspondence, but I talked to people who you know, were at high schools that Nebraska had been recruiting, and you know, Nebraska's folks, they weren't all that thrilled about all these elevated expectations nationally because they knew they had work to do. And you guys in the Nebraska fan base, you knew if you're close to that program, the kind of mess that they inherited. And you just gotta hit the reset button on a lot of stuff. The old torch the bar and kill the rats and start completely over from the ground up, the old GU rebuild. It's not fun to talk about, but it's necessary. And so a lot of Nebraska folks, the mood is, however many games we play this year, let's just find tangible signs of progress. Let's hopefully stay healthy at the quarterback position. But 2021, in 2022, those are the years where we really start to learn a lot more about Scott Frost, and we really start to learn more about who we will be 
over the next 10 years. That's the mood. All across the Big Ten, that's the mood. Now, as sure as I wrap this up, a lot of you in East Lansing, for example, you're saying, what about Michigan State? And I ask, you really want me talking about Michigan State right now? I'd be happy to do it. I'd be happy to do it. Just know I'll be honest about it. And just know if you do want to hear it, just like our SEC folks did last week, if I didn't get to your program, you just drop a comment. You drop a comment, and we will cover the teams we didn't cover tonight in the next Late Kick Extra podcast. That's what that whole thing is for. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Hello, everyone. It's Mike Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. All right, let's move it on. I have something to talk about that probably pertains to every single one of you. Every single one of you likely has an opinion on Notre Dame, and it has nothing to do with their uniforms. It has nothing to do with their mascot. In all likelihood, it has nothing to do with any of their players. I look at my inbox. I look at my DMs on Twitter, and I would probably say safely the ratio lately has been one out of every five questions pertains to Notre Dame and whether they should join a conference, especially when we found out that in all likelihood we're moving to a conference game only format for the 2020 season, the question naturally becomes, what about Notre Dame? And everyone drools all over themselves and they say, is this our shot to screw Notre Dame? So our buddy Desmond Howard is on a national network the other day and you guys brought this to my attention. You wanted to know what I thought about it. So I have bullet points here. I'm not gonna read the whole quote, but I will warmly and accurately paraphrase what he said. Now he admitted his bias outright and he said, Notre Dame's always been given a special pass. They enjoy that independence. Now, if everyone plays conference games only and they're left out in the cold because of decisions they've made, that's their problem. This according to Desmond Howard. I seem to remember once upon a generation, they tried to get in the Big Ten, didn't they? Who was it that blocked Notre Dame? Anyway, I continue. My words, not his. Quote continues now. I don't have a problem with a team or school that thought they are beyond joining a conference. And now because teams are playing within their conference, getting left out in the cold. So Desmond Howard is just telling you that you reap what you sow. And if you get left out, then that's your fault. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, The last three words, those were mine, not his. So here's what I've always noticed about Notre Dame. I've hinted about this a few times, but I don't think I've ever really taken a deep dive into it. But what I've always noticed, ever since I was young, about Notre Dame, growing up way down in Georgia, I always noticed that everyone had some pretty solid feelings on this, one way or the other. But I always realized that everyone was focused on what they thought about Notre Dame. 
And I've never, now granted, it's understandable I never heard this growing up in Georgia, I never really heard anyone taking up the cause for Notre Dame. Not defending them, taking up the cause, empathizing with their position, in other words, putting yourself for more than two seconds in the shoes of the Notre Dame athletic director. In this case, it is Mr. Schwarbeck. And what would you do if you were him? Why do they do what they do? Why don't they do what you want them to do? And here's the camps that I've always found forming. The camp that you're in, if you're not a Notre Dame fan and you are of the belief that they should just be forced to join a conference or you get left out in the cold any year, much less this year, is you probably think that them being in a conference or them being forced to join a conference is what is best for college football. Now listen, for all you know, I may even be on your side in that, but I'm not talking about what you think or I think is best for college football. I'm talking about what Notre Dame does and what they decide to do with themselves and why they decide to do that. And so what I've always asked myself is, what if I were in charge at Notre Dame? What if I were Jack Swarbrick? What if I were the athletic director there? What if you were the athletic director at Notre Dame? And you know what the answer is? We'd do the exact same thing he does. We would have our program on the same path they're on right now. And why would we do that? Well, for some very simple reasons. Because at that point, our job would not be about what is in the best interest of college football. Our job would be what is in the best interest of Notre Dame. And we would look around and we would say, okay, there are some suggestions from the peanut gallery here that we join a conference. What is the value proposition there? What do they have to offer us? Because currently we have our own TV deal. We have full schedule autonomy. We have a vote at the table. We have access to the college football playoff. I mean, we have the equality of a vote that the entire SEC does, the entire ACC does. You don't have to like it, but keep in mind, we're role-playing right now, which is always fun. And we are the athletic director at Notre Dame. Why would we join a conference? There are two ways, as far as I can see it, that this changes. And I've talked about this before now. I told you the first way that this would change would be if there arose a situation where Notre Dame was sitting there at the end of the year with a very competitive resume, but then their lack of being in a conference and their lack of winning a conference championship cost them a spot at the table. I thought that that, I didn't think it would definitely force action, but that would be the closest that you would come to things naturally unfolding in a way that it forced their hand. They may still not do anything. They may just say, oh well, didn't work out for us. Better luck next year. Here's the second way. And this is really where you should redirect your ire if you believe it's the best interest of college football for them to join a conference. The second way would be if the university presidents and really conference commissioners um, at the behest of university presidents in some cases, in some cases, if they got together and they decided they were going to force Notre Dame's hand, could do it. They could do it. Now, for whatever reason, I'll leave that to you to figure out with a solid wink of the eye. For whatever reason, they haven't done that. So if you want to be mad at someone and you're a Georgia fan, talk to your conference commissioner. You want to be mad at someone and you're an Oklahoma fan, talk to your conference commissioner. Same across the country. Talk to your conference commissioners. I don't know that you'll get a response, but try and talk to them anyway. But I've always been fine with it. My, now I get to my personal opinion on it. I've always been fine with Notre Dame's status as an independent. It is not a risk-free proposition. This approach that they take is not without risk. And I'll tell you right now, since you think I'm probably doing everything short of wearing a golden helmet on the set, that's not the case. I just understand their plight. I understand their approach and readily admit, 
I'd be the same way. If the sport allowed me to operate this way, I'd do the exact same thing they do. But here's what I'm telling you. Just as surely as I, as I say that, if we were to unfold a hypothetical scenario, let's say this year played out normal instead of COVID style. If this year played out as normal, and Brian Kelly and his team are sitting there 12 and 0, and uh, they're jockeying for a playoff position, and you have, for example, Alabama and Florida, both undefeated in regular season play, and they go to Atlanta, and Florida beats Alabama 30 to 23 in the SEC championship game. I have no problem putting Florida in and Alabama in over Notre Dame. In that kind of scenario, what I've seen happen is I've seen Notre Dame have a very good year, but I've also seen Alabama and Florida have very good years, and they finish the regular season with the same resume as Notre Dame, probably a stronger strength of schedule or at the very least comparable, but then, because my conference has a title game, I put both of them in a reward setting in Atlanta. I'm not punishing either one of them for losing in a game they were rewarded with for winning their conference in the regular season. That could happen to Notre Dame. That's not out of the realm of possibility. So as long as they're okay with accepting that risk, which they are, and the sport of college football allows them to exist as they do, which it does, why am I mad at them for doing nothing more than I would do if I ran that university's athletic department? Having said that, who knows what 2020 holds. All right, we're going to wrap it up with this. I had an interesting question. It was for the Late Kick Extra podcast, but I thought I had an open spot at the end of tonight's show. And this, to me, really deals with a couple of programs, even though the question is about one man. So I thought I'd hit it tonight. <sighs> Just as sure as I say that, I forgot to write down who submitted the question. You know what? Whoever submitted this question, I responded to you, and I told you I was going to address it tonight. So... You know who you are. Thank you. Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank asks, do you think Kevin Steele is the best defensive coordinator in the SEC? Most of you know who that is. For those of you who don't, that is the current defensive coordinator at Auburn. He's been there five years now. And so what do I think? What do we think on this? Think along with me. What do you think about this? Kevin Steele. It's not a name that pops to the front of everyone's mind nearly as quickly as, let's say, Brent Venables at Clemson does nationally. Now we're talking about teams in the Southeastern Conference here. But who would we put above him? Who would you put above him? It's not Bo Pelini at LSU. He just got back 15 minutes ago. Is it Dan Lanning at Georgia? Guys going into his second year? I mean, do we really know where Dan Lanning stops and Kirby Smart's great recruiting starts? I don't know. I think you need a bigger body of work. Um, is it Elko at A&M? He's three years in, but they're still rebuilding that roster. So to be honest, even three years in, we really don't fully know what we have with Mike Elko. Barry Odom could be the answer to this question, truth be told, at Arkansas. But because of roster limitation and the fact that he has been there about 15 minutes too, we can't answer him. There are two names that I think you could arrive at. One is Kevin Steele and the other one's Todd Grantham. Those are the two names that I think you could arrive at. And if I were to poll coaches, I don't necessarily know where this would land, but I know that I've talked to some people inside the SEC. If I were to poll personnel on the coaching side of the fence inside the SEC, Kevin Steele, Todd Grantham, you can have one of them, one of them as your defensive coordinator, who would you take? I think because the scheme that Grantham runs is a lot more exotic, they just do more things, I think a lot of them would lean Grantham. But to me, I don't think you go wrong either way. And it's one of those deals where I would give you first pick and I'll just take whoever is left over, because I'd be more than happy to take Kevin Steele off your hands if you want to leave him with me. Either one of them work because they both really hit on the same point. 
And the point is this, the head coach at Florida is Dan Mullen. The head coach at Auburn is Gus Malzahn. Malzahn is admittedly further into his tenure at Auburn than Mullen is at Florida, but think about to this point in their respective tenures at their respective outposts, what has been the identity of their best teams? Auburn, especially lately, what has been the identity of their team when they're winning these games out of nowhere against number one Georgia, number one Alabama, when they're at their best? And when Florida, so far, under Dan Mullen has been at their best, has it been hanging half a hundred every week? Or has it been doing enough not to lose offensively, but then playing lockdown defense, opportunistic defense, turning the ball over on defense? Here's what they've done whether it be Grantham at Florida or whether it be Kevin Steele at Auburn, what they've done is they've been good enough to overturn what the identity really is supposed to be of those programs. If you're a believer, as I am, that when programs are good, they're probably reflecting the fingerprint of their head coach, that's the antithesis of what you've got at Auburn. When Auburn's been at their best recently, it's been because they've won defensively in spite of offensive limitations. Well, that's not Gus Malzahn. I mean, that's not how you would describe a Gus Malzahn program from 50,000 feet. And it's the same at Florida. Now at Florida, again, at Florida, Mullen hasn't been there as long. So you could say, okay, well, you got to give him time to get his guys. But even if that's the case, that's the whole point. Todd Grantham's been good enough to where they've been a contender because he's made the identity of the program defense for the time being. Whether it remains that way is to be seen. So I mean, use the Auburn example. Since we, since we talked about and since you asked about Kevin Steele, imagine if we were to take a time portal and we were to travel back to 2013. And there we are. It's in Pasadena, California, I believe. It's the national championship game. And Auburn's gone into the locker room with a big lead on Florida State. And here comes Florida State and they're storming back. But I mean, Auburn has taken a program. Malzahn in his first year has taken a program that was four and eight the year before. Didn't even make a bowl game. And he's taken a lot of that same roster and he's got them within one quarter of a national championship in his first year. And they have run roughshod in many cases, over the SEC in this 2013 season, and they have put up ungodly offensive numbers, again, with some of those very same players that could not walk and chew gum at the same time the season before. And you're watching them, and they, they just narrowly get clipped at the last minute against Florida State. But imagine if you were to freeze that fourth quarter, and there's Gus Malzahn in his first year at Auburn, and he is rewriting the Auburn offensive record books in the process of as, as of this point, you remember we paused it in the fourth quarter, it looks like they're about to win a national championship. And imagine if I were to tell you, seven years from now, friend, he is still gonna be the head coach at Auburn. But five, six, seven years from now, when they're at their best, it'll just be because of defense. And you'll have questions every year offensively. And there'll be times where it looks like they take a step forward, but then they take two steps back. And can you believe that? And you'd say no. I mean, if we don't continue to click offensively, if we regress that much offensively, there's no way he's going to stay here. And I would agree with you, but Kevin Steele would have proved us wrong. So that's the case for Kevin Steele. I think it's a pretty good case to be made, to be honest with you, for Kevin Steele. I don't know who his representative is. It may be Sexton, but if it's not Mr. Steele, I'm available. I may have a lot of free time in the not-too-distant future, actually. We've got free time for the rest of the night, though, because we're done. We really appreciate you watching. Um, I know in the chat before the show's 
on YouTube, I always tell you, hey, just get us over 50 likes, which is the thumbs up for those of you unfamiliar. And it's because the way that the algorithm works here, it puts us in the trending section of live video. If you get us over 50 likes, you'll notice the sooner you get us over that 50 like mark, the more the viewership goes up. That's because more people are having it suggested to them. So thank you, however you tuned in. Thank you for watching and subscribe to the channel while you're here because it's free. We will have our next Late Kick Extra podcast released on Wednesday for your entertainment and listening pleasure. You can still submit questions right now via the email inbox, Twitter DMs, at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, or you could just reply to a comment that I'm about to put momentarily if I didn't already. Let me see. I put it there already. So yeah, if you're watching on YouTube, there is a comment right below this video. Just reply to that with any questions that you have about uh, the Late Kick Extra podcast, and we'll do our best to get them all in. So until next time, for Director Colin, for Aaron, for Tani, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great and safe week, and God bless. Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.